Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. As you're being seated, if you would, turn your attention to Revelation chapter 3. Turn there in your Bibles. As we continue looking at our series entitled Christ Church, the Dearest Place on Earth, we will be continuing the mini-series within this greater series entitled The Bold Admonitions to Christ Church. This is the fifth part of this small series within the major series that we have been looking at. And today we are going to look at a church by the name of Sardis. As Christ is going to boldly admonish them, give them instructions and warnings, this is our fifth stop on this ancient postal route as we have traveled north and now we are traveling back south. And we will be looking at this particular place in a message entitled Sardis, the Church of the Walking Dead. We're going to see as Christ addressed this church, a church that was once a flourishing, vibrant church by all accounts, it had now become dead. Why, we ask? Why would a vibrant, flourishing church now be seen, as it's analyzed by Christ, as dead? We're going to seek to answer that question today as we look at this message, but we are also going to seek to avoid such tragedy in this church. I can't help but read these churches and these warnings to these churches that we see in Revelation. Is there addressed by Christ to the messenger of that church, that pastor, that lead elder, that lead teacher of that congregation? I can't help but think about this church. As we look at a message about a church that was once alive but is now dead, I can't help but pray, Lord, please, may it never be here. May we never be that church that was once alive, reaching souls for Christ, discipling the saints, loving God, loving other people, ministering to them, showing them the love of Christ. May we never find ourselves in a dead condition, as Sardis did. They were sadly dead. They didn't even know it. He's going to tell them, you have a reputation of being alive. You think you're alive. Other people think you're alive. But you're really dead. I believe that I've preached in this church on many occasions. Right, the church that thought that they were alive, but they were actually dead. You know what I'm talking about. If you've been around churches very long, you walk into this church and it smells like it's dead. There's been no life in that building for quite some time. Everyone there has gray hair and is approaching the end of their life. With no vision to reach the lost, no vision to disciple the saved, no vision to help the hurting, no vision to care for the perishing and the dying is Christ. 
Oh, they once were alive. You can tell. I've preached in the auditorium where there were 50, where there used to be hundreds. I've walked into the Sunday school classes where the Sunday school periodicals were stacked over in the corner. There hasn't been any new ones since the 1980s when that church was vibrant and growing. I pastored a church in Arkansas who had dwindled down to 14 whole members. Less than 20 years before this, there were somewhere around 350 members, passionately, vibrantly, reaching the lost, attempting to disciple those that were saved. And they lost sight of things. Oh, how quickly we can lose sight of things, can't we, church? We as individuals must guard ourselves from what we're going to see today. Because we're going to walk through Sardis, we're going to talk about the culture and the history of Sardis as we have in all of these studies. Please don't lose me there or turn me off. The history is important because I want you to see this was a real church that was once vibrant. Who Christ is saying, now you are all but dead, save a small remnant. We look at these things so that we can learn from these things. So that we don't fall into the trap of being another dead church that once was. May that be your prayer today, that we may never be a dead church that once was. You say, well, doesn't that responsibility fall upon you? Pastor, yes, it does. That's why I'm delivering this message today. First and foremost, it falls directly upon me. As goes the pastor, so goes the church. But we know that this church, like Every church is made up of individuals which collectively make the whole. I would ask today that you would analyze yourselves in light of what you are going to see Jesus say today. Ask yourself this question, am I spiritually dead? Am I on the verge of spiritual death? Am I complacent? Am I compromising? Am I compliant with the world? We're going to look at all of these things. But before we do that, we're going to see the example for our our message today, Sardis. Let's read that together in the Word of God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. It says this to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Christ speaking to his church. He says this, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. He's saying, get back to what you used to be. Remember, speaking first to the individuals that make up the whole. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. He says in verse 4, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. He says there's still hope for you. There's a remnant there. Aren't you thankful that God always saves a remnant? I spoke of that church that I pastored in Arkansas. Those 14 people were a remnant. And God used that small remnant who focused on Jesus Christ to revive a church that was on the verge of being completely dead. 
He says, yet I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, and they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, if you have just one good ear, raise your hand then you need to pay attention to what we're going to see today. We're going to see the church of the walking dead. This church was located, as we have seen, in Sardis. Sardis is receiving a message from Christ. We see that in verse 1. The words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. Christ is seen here holding or possessing seven characteristics of the Spirit. We get those seven characteristics from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord, or sovereignty. The second one, the spirit of wisdom. Thirdly, the spirit of understanding. Fourthly, the spirit of counsel. Fifthly, the spirit of power. Sixthly, the spirit of knowledge. The seventh spirit, the spirit of fear or reverence toward God the Father. We see those are the seven spirits that Christ possesses. He says, I'm the one who holds the seven stars, the churches. I hold you in my hand. I know absolutely everything that's going on there. You're not fooling anyone. Because I have all of this under control. I see it all. He's reminding them that I'm holding you up even though you don't know that I'm holding you up. That I am sovereignly head over my church still, and that there are some things that will not be tolerated in my church. We're going to see particularly today, uh, he will not tolerate a dead church, even if that church still thinks that they are alive. In my time in ministry, I have preached at many places, countless places that I've gone into to preach. They thought they were alive. But they were really dead. They weren't worshiping God. They were praising their praise, or praising their worship and worshiping their praise. They were all about themselves. They were all about what they had going on. They were no longer about Christ. Key Life Fellowship, listen to me. We cannot forget about Christ. To forget about Christ is to have one foot in the spiritual grave. This church made that error. We're going to see their error in detail in a moment. This message is sent to this church in Sardis. I'm going to give you some history. Please pay attention to this. Sardis still exists today. Not the church, but the town. It's actually a village called Sart. It's located in Turkey. It's 30 miles south-southwest of where Thyatira was once located. Again, we are continuing on this mail route, this loop. And so we leave Thyatira, we go to Sardis. Sardis was located on a 1,500-foot plateau or hill. In your mind, try to visualize that with me. It was there in the Hermas River Valley. And so this one plateau in the middle of this river valley, three sides of this plateau was covered in rocks and difficult and tough terrain. And in fact, the people of Sardis thought that that plateau served as an impenetrable fortress for this city. So high upon this 1,500-foot hill stood 
this city that was once the capital of the Lydian kingdom, which lasted between 1200 and 546 B.C. Interesting fact about Sardis is this. Gold and silver coins were to believe to be first minted in this city called Sardis. And it was and is thought that this happened under the reign of the Lydian king Croesus in 550 B.C. around that era. And so many people who collect coins, Roman coins, coins from the Roman or the Greco-Roman periods, Many of those coins, and the reason that you have these coins is because there in Sardis was one of the first places to mint, to make coins. Sardis was conquered by the Persians, then the Athenians, then the Seleucids, then the Adelids, until it was finally bequeathed to Rome in 133 B.C. So we see Sardis here in the book of Revelation as a settlement, a city-controlled by the Roman Empire. In 70, 17, excuse me, AD, Sardis suffered a tremendous earthquake. In fact, it devastated the entire city and it had to be rebuilt under the Romans. During the time of the revelation here, this particular location was known to be a producer of pure fine wool. Not only did they produce the finest of wool from Sardis, they are also noted as those who first discovered how to dye wool. And so I say these things, again, not to bore you with a lot of history about things, but to let you know that this was a real place in real time with real people and a real culture and a real church. In Sardis, there were familiar characters, perhaps, that were born there. Many believe that Aesop, the writer of Aesop's fables, Aesop's, I always want to pronounce that A, and I know I shouldn't. Aesop's fables, you remember that in English class, or if you're like me, you don't remember it at all. She read it. But it is in Sardis that it is believed that Aesop hailed from. There in Sardis we have, just as we have had in all of these Roman cities and settlements, the worship of false gods and goddesses, right? You knew I was going to get to that. When you know it, they worshiped Artemis. Interesting that they always run to the goddess of fertility and sexual immorality. Artemis or Diana, one of the main goddesses that they would have worshipped here, along with much emperor worship as the Caesars considered themselves equal to God, they would have forced emperor worship upon the people there in Sardis. So this settlement was inundated, like all of the others, with pluralism, which means many religions, but also polytheism, many gods and goddesses. And we know that this ideology is what brought persecution upon the churches that were found in these locations because when people would say that there are many ways to God, the true Christian would stand and say, no, there is but one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And they would be hated, persecuted, even killed for such statements in this type of culture. So we see that Sardis 
a real place, real people, a real culture, but also a real church, a real church with real problems. In fact, in all the other letters that we have seen, we have noticed that the Lord gives commendation before He discusses violations in many of these churches. But here in Sardis, however, the Lord does not hesitate to get right to the violation. He says there in verse 1, very quickly, it says that the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of Him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And He says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds, or your lack thereof would probably be more properly put. I know what you're doing or what you're not doing. Nothing goes unseen. And I say that again so that you can all recognize that. Nothing goes unseen. Not in your life, not in my life, not in the life of this church, not in the believers who existed during the time that this is written. Nothing goes unseen from an all-knowing, all-seeing God. He makes sure that they know that I know your deeds. He says, next... You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This church was, for all good purposes, dead. There was a predominant lack of true faith in Sardis. Verse 2, he says this about their deeds. I have found your deeds, complete in, your deeds incomplete in the sight of my God. He says this indicating that there really is a lack of true faith in Sardis. Oh, this is consistent with what the apostles in the early church taught. In fact, James taught this. James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? It's a rhetorical question that we know absolutely not. This church at Sardis had a claim, but they had no true faith confirmed by godly biblical deeds. They were content with just simply believing in God alongside of all of the other religions and idols of their day. In fact, when Sardis was excavated, they found a pagan temple located directly next to a Christian church, proving that these people were content to just live life alongside of all of the other dead religions, dead and false gods and goddesses, those idols of the day. Their faith was simply talk without deeds. Did you know talk without deeds gives zero evidence of true saving faith? That's not according to Kirk Hall. If you wanted to take that quote, you would have to give it to Jesus Christ, because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's for all the people who say this, that if you make a profession that Jesus is Lord, you can live any way that you want to live after that point. And you're still saved because you profess that. The only problem with that is it's not consistent with what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who professes that I am their Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Watch this. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Jesus is saying to the church at Sardis, I know this. I know that you profess me, but your deeds do not prove that you truly are mine. The church at Sardis had accepted dead religion and were content with just going through the everyday motions. They were fooling everyone, even fooling themselves. They failed to realize that they would not fool Christ. Church, may we hear that this morning? You can fool everyone around you with your dead faith. You can even fool yourself because your heart is desperately and deceitfully wicked. But you will not fool Christ. This church had not fooled Christ. He was on to what was going on here. I know your deeds are lacking. This church was content with man's approval. It gave little or no thought to what God approved of. Oh, don't we see that in the American church culture? We approve of it. <laughs> Who cares what God says? This was that dead church. Not caring about what God thought, what His Word teaches, what is right according to His will, His plan, and His providence. They were more concerned with what they thought about themselves. He said, I know you have a reputation of being alive. Don't be okay with that. Because I say you're dead. You're not doing the things that I have commanded you to do. This church was dead because their faith was truly dead. Revealing what? That they were still in their sin, that they had not yet been redeemed. A dead church, made up of dead individuals, is no church at all. Were it not for the remnant here that he mentions later, this church would be in grave danger, even more so than they're already in. This church had no true works to back up their claim. Well, I'll be the first one to tell you this. Works do not save you, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, so that no man can boast. But it is, in fact, works, the fruit that comes out of your lives that prove that your faith is genuine, saving faith. That's what Jesus is saying to this church here. We can't help but think of Ephesians chapter 2 when we talk about this. I know we love 8 and 9, and we should. But what about verse 10? He says in 8, of course, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Pay attention to 10. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do what? Be complacent? Set on our laurels as we wait for the Lord to return doing nothing? No, he says that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Watch this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These are preordained works of God. You know what the true believer will be walking in in their life? Preordained works of God that bring him glory and honor and praise through their lives on this earth. The church at Sardis did not have these things. They were incomplete. Jesus was letting them know about it, that these works were missing, and sadly so, because it is our changed lives, our good works, our God-wrought deeds that truly display our faith and repentance, that truly display that we are 
as Scripture says, new creations in Christ Jesus. Sardis was missing this element. He wanted them to be aware of this. So in light of this church that we see known as the church of Sardis that we have already read about in Revelation chapter 3, I want us to look and to jump to some application today. I want us to jump to this. I want us to look at four marks of a dead or dying church. You're going to see that we are going to jump back and forth from our own lives, from our own church, to the church at Sardis. We're going to see what those marks may be and what they are so that we can avoid the trap becoming a dead church. As your pastor, I can say this. It drives me to my knees every time that I think about this, every time I read about the church at Sardis. Because as I have already told you, I have walked into those dead churches that once were. My prayer for you is this, Lord, may it never be here. May you continually stir your people by the Word of God, through the Spirit of God who indwells them. May you continually stir them to faith and good deeds in Christ Jesus. So that we never hear a Sardis hurt. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Oh, how sad it would be if at some point one day down the road someone talks about what Key Life Fellowship used to be. As the chairs are covered in dust, as the songs have all been but muted, and as the people have trickled out into the world, may it never be so here. And in order for it not to be so, we have to be honest. Men are prone to many things. We're going to look at the trap that Sardis fell into. The first thing that I want you to see, the first mark of a dead or dying church is this. Write it down. Complacency. Complacency. He says in verse 1, I know your deeds or your lack thereof. Sardis was complacent going through the motions, no longer caring. They were complacent in their deeds. Their claim to faith was simply just that, because it wasn't proven by a life and lives that bring glory to God. They were neglecting what Matthew 5.16 tells us. Matthew 5.16, you should know it full well. In the same way, he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. A church that does not let their light shine in good deeds is a dead church. They're not, nothing but mere talk. They're pretending. They have a reputation of maybe being alive, but Jesus says they're dead. They died in their complacency, neglecting what the Lord himself commanded as those of us who bear his light to let it shine. To let it shine not just in the safety and the confines of other light as we do on a Sunday morning, but to let it shine in a dark and perishing world unapologetically, letting it shine through our deeds, living lives of obedience. He said, I know your deeds, your lack thereof, that they're incomplete. You claim faith, but you have nothing to back it up. They were complacent in their deeds, but they were also complacent in their devotion. You say, well, how do you know they were complacent in their devotion? 
Our deeds will always reflect our devotion. If we love Christ, our lives will show it. If we love Christ, we will obey his commands. Is that not what John tells us in John chapter 14, verse 15? If you love me, you will obey what I command. Not you might or you ought to. You will. He is your master. Back in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, the Lord asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you profess me? He says, and do not do what I say. Here's the answer. Because they weren't truly devoted to Christ. Because if you truly are devoted to Christ, if you love him, you will obey him. Your life will then shine forth with good deeds to bring him glory. The two go hand in hand, don't they? You can't say you're devoted to Christ without a life that proves it. Don't fool yourself. He's saying to this church, your faith is dead. There's the absence of works. It's dead because you've become complacent. Complacent in your deeds due to your lack of devotion to the Lord. Well, so many times these dead churches that we see, that we speak of, become that way because of their lack of devotion to the Lord. Then it trickles into their deeds. And then soon you have a group of people there dying and getting old, spiritually dead, doing nothing for the glory of God on this earth. The first mark is complacency. The second mark that we see when we look at a dead or a dying church, you can see that these are progressive. They will move from complacency to contentment or comfort. The next phase after complacency is always contentment or comfort. They are spiritually retired. We've all been to those churches populated by gray-haired people with no desire to teach the next generation about faith in Christ, to teach the next generation about how to be a godly man or how to be a godly woman or what the Word of God says about this matter or that matter. They're just content with being retired. I served on staff at that church one time. Early in my ministry career, I actually thought that the Lord was going to allow me to serve on all seven of the churches of Asia Minor staffs. But I served at a church that had zero vision. These people were retired from their work. They were retired from Christ. It was evident. They were dead. Because they were content. They were comfortable. This church at Sardis fell into that error. They were content. What were they content with? It's the same thing that dead churches in our culture are content with. Number one, mediocrity. They were content with just being mediocre. Sardis was okay with just being okay, as all dead churches are. We're okay with being okay. I remember when we would have business meetings, and they were okay that we paid all our bills, but not a soul was baptized. Not a soul was saved. Not a person in the church was growing beyond infancy. But we're okay because we paid the light bill. That's a sign of a dead church. You care more about your budget than your soul. 
They're mediocre. Sardis was okay with just being okay. Church, let me say this to you, Key Life Fellowship, as your pastor, a church who becomes content with mediocrity, going through the motions, will soon be dead. You are on a collision course with death. Please pay attention to that in your individual life this morning, that it does not affect the church as a whole. We can never be content with being mediocre. Isn't it interesting that the church is the only place in America that will accept mediocrity? Now you try it this week at your job. How many of you have a job? You work for someone. You might work for yourself. You work for a company. But if you approached your job with a mediocre attitude, you would not have that job very long, would you? Your career would be what? Dead. Your career would be dead, and everyone who saw your mediocrity when they spoke of you in the future, they would give you no good reference. They would say, you know, he started well, she started well, but then she became very mediocre. He became very mediocre, just going through the motions and did our company no good. It was as if he just died on the vine. Well, your employer would never accept mediocrity. So I ask this American church, why do we give more to our employers, to our careers, to our livelihood, than we do to the Christ who died for us? Why would we ever accept mediocrity in the church? May it never be so here at Key Life Fellowship in the lives of the individual members, in the life of the church as a whole. May we never accept mediocrity. It's a step in the wrong direction. You can never be content with mediocre. This church found themselves content with it. But not only content with mediocre, they found themselves, as many churches do and can, they found themselves content with memories. The Lord says this to them, you have a reputation of being alive, but you were dead telling us this, somewhere back in history, they were alive enough that they had a reputation of being alive. Things were going on. It was the happening place. The church at Sardis, the church where people were going, being saved and baptized, observing communion, seeing families raised up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, having great Bible studies that challenge those who sit under the teaching. But now, it's just a memory. Some people are content with memories, right? Just looking back and saying, but at one time, we were this. Church, please listen to me. You make a grave mistake when you live in the past. When you live in the past in regard to your sin, you make a mistake. When you live in the past in regard to your failures, you make a mistake. But also, when you live in the past in regard to success, you make mistakes, Jesus said this, no man is fit for the kingdom of heaven who grabs a hold of the plow and looks backward. What was he saying? He wasn't just talking about looking at the world. You might look back and look at your success. You're now plowing forward, and sometimes we get to difficult ground when we're plowing for the Lord, don't we? I don't want to go any further. It's too difficult. It's too, it's too taxing. Oh, I remember when life was good. You remember the Israelites making this mistake? Life was so much better back when we were in Egypt. Was it really? We're slaves to the Egyptians. Stop being deceived. Lives were not better then. Oh, but we fall to this so often, don't we? 
wanting to go back to the good old days. Those of you who were raised in the 50s want to go back to the 50s because it was so much better. Was it really? There was still sin and death and disease and heartache and pain. The only answer was Christ. Still the same. Oh, we have different problems, but you had problems as well. We always want to go back. There are those people, even in the life of Key Life Fellowship. Let me warn you quickly. We liked it better when we were over in the old building where we were a little bit smaller church. Where everybody knew everybody. Get to know some new people. They're all around you. It's real simple. Stick out a hand. My name is Kirk. How do you do? They'll give you your name, their name back. Shake hands. Become friends. Oh, remember the good old days. We just, we'd, we'd like it to be like that again. Really? You would trade having your memory back from all of the souls that have been saved through the course of time, through the work that the Lord has done in bringing them here, the families who have been restored, who are on the brink of divorce, who are now happy in their home, raising their kids to follow, to love the Lord. You would rather have your old memory than to see the Lord add to His church daily those who were being saved? What in the world is wrong with you? You're selfish. You're potentially dead living in your memories, past glories, past successes. You've lost the passion that once drove you because you want a memory. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who ever went to a youth camp, you teenagers know what I'm talking about. You were at youth camp, and you, you were on a high while you were at camp. Let me just tell you this. It was an emotional high. Emotional highs wear off. Don't live in emotional highs. Live in the steadfast faithfulness of the Lord God Almighty through Jesus Christ. He never changes. But you had that high, and many of you have fallen into the same error. You came home. That high began to wear off. And what did you do? You looked high and low for it, didn't you? Where is it? I've got to find it. You know, whole churches and whole church movements are made around creating some high for these junior high, junior church-minded people of our church culture. Right, we've got to do something new and something terrific every week. They're living in that memory of youth camp where, where they had an ooey-gooey feeling. It was a feeling. Feelings come and go. The Word of God endures forever. You see, so many people fall into the trap of becoming content with their old memories. Instead of saying this, Lord, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do this moment? Show me right now your work, your kindness, your love, your mercy. Show me in your Word the truth that I need to see for this day. A church that attempts to live in the past all of the time and in past glories will soon be a memorial. That's what you'll be. Vance Havner, the great preacher, said this. He said, if a church is not careful, the progression of the church will be this. A man, a movement, a machine, and then a monument. Isn't that true in so many churches? They become Monuments of what once was. Let us not fall into that trap. We can't be content and comfortable with past successes. 
We must continue marching forward into the will of God and the plan of God. Now, His providence. Now, His will. Now, those people who He sends us now, pouring into their lives. We get to the third thing in looking at our lesson today, the four marks of a dead or dying church, and that's compliance. Many in Sardis, and I'm afraid many in the churches today, have complied to the pagan culture. As I've already uh, mentioned, when they excavated the area, they found a Christian church directly next door to a pagan temple, showing that they had complied with the culture. Church, please listen to me. You cannot be light in the darkness if you look like the darkness. It's impossible to comply with the culture, to become what they want you to become. Doesn't the lost culture want us just to comply? Why don't you just be like us, right? Get along for the sake of just getting along. You can't be light in darkness if you're darkness. If you're complying with the darkness. John 17, verse 14, the Lord himself says this in a prayer there, the high priestly prayer. He says, I have given them your word and the, the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What was Jesus saying here? Jesus was saying that true believers will come out of darkness, that they will be sanctified by the Word of God, set apart, different from the lost paganism of the day, not complying to it, but being separate. From it. Do you hear that, church? Being separate from it. We have so quickly forgotten what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this in verse 22. Avoid every kind of evil. Some translations say the appearance of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Avoid every kind of evil. Even on October 31st. We comply with the world. In fact, many churches just this past week complied with the world. They called it a fall festival because they think that they have to give an alternative to what the world does. We have to comply with the world so that the world will come here. We will make this worldly so that they will feel comfortable when they come. May it never be so here. May it never be so in your life. Don't comply to the world just so the world will accept you. The world is going to hate you if you're in Christ. Don't forget that. We see that the compliant church complies with the culture. But they also exhibit compliance instead of conviction. Can I ask this question? Where has Christian conviction gone? Have you noticed? No one is convicted about anything any longer. Do you remember when the church was a place of conviction? I can remember when the church was a place of conviction. We 
were convicted about the things of God. We were convicted about holy lives. We were convicted about the words that we said, the language that we used, the substances that we partook of. Where is the conviction in the church today? Where is the church's desire to be different from the world? Where is the church that doesn't care if the world hates them, who understands what Jesus taught? John chapter 15, when he says this, if the world hates you, verse 18, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If you have been chosen out of the world by Jesus Christ, you are truly His, the world is going to hate you. And you know why they hate you? Because you're not like them. Oh, you once were. But if you're truly in Christ, you are a new creation. You have been changed. You understand 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. You've come out and you are separate, living a life of conviction. Where is the conviction? There is no conviction in a dead church, is there? There's just compliance. We're no longer convicted about anything. But the sad thing is the church is asking, or the so-called church is asking this question quite often in our culture, church culture. Right? It goes something like this. How much can I get away with and still be considered Christian? It's not a question that anyone who has true faith in Christ would ever ask. But we would ask, what is it, what is it in my life that God does not approve of? What is it in my life that is not pleasing to God? I want those things out of my life. Holy Spirit, reveal to me in your word those things that I might confess those things and repent of those things and to walk in the forgiveness that Christ died for me to have. That's the attitude of the true church, the church that is alive. The dead church says, how can I get away with it and still be considered? Or what can I get away with and still be considered a Christian? We've been reminded of what James says in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So many people come into an auditorium just like this or in auditoriums just like this even right now, listening to the word. He says, don't just listen, deceiving yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Are you just a hearer of the Word? And then you comply to the world? Or do you hear the Word? And does the Word transform your life and you now are obediently doing what the Word commands you to do? That's biblical sanctification. You are being set apart through your knowledge of the Word as God has wrought a true and lasting work in you. Fourth, fourth category that we will look at or mark of a dying church is this. We've seen complacency, contentment or comfort, compliance. And lastly, we'll look at compromise. Isn't that the way that it always goes? Complacency first, 
contentment and comfort next. Then we comply. Then we compromise. Church, beware. Almost as soon as you comply to the world, you will then be tempted to compromise. There are two ways we compromise, aren't there? When we just break it down simplistically. Number one, we compromise when we embrace sin. We compromise by embracing sin. Write it down. We're seeing this sign of deadness in so many so-called churches all over this country that we live in. In fact, a church called North Point Community Church in Georgia, pastored by a man named Andy Stanley. You're probably familiar with his dad, Charles. Run as far as you can from Andy. He openly affirms and embraces homosexual lifestyles right now in the day that we live in. And he recently had a conference teaching others, church leaders, how to do the same. Church, we are never called to embrace sinful lifestyles of any kind. Former SBC president, J.D. Greer, said this in a sermon. He said that on the subject of homosexuality, God whispers. Does he really? Is it a whisper when God says, such shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Is that a whisper? It doesn't sound like a whisper to me. It sounds like a stern warning from a holy God. But we see in our time, we're embracing sin. We could go on with example after endless example of pulpits that are embracing sin and people who are under their teaching who are then taught to embrace sin. Can I tell you what Romans chapter 1 says? It hasn't changed. Verse 24 of chapter 1, it says, Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. This was after they suppressed the truth with their depraved minds. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. They began to worship idols. Because of this, verse 26, God gave them over to do shame, uh, over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves. There's HIV for you. In themselves, the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, verse 28, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Oh, now it became so outlandish that we, we look at it and go, what in the world is wrong with these people? Why does a man want to call himself a woman or a woman call herself a man? God created the man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. It's not hard. There are two sexes on this earth, a man and a woman. And you know exactly what they are. Stop pretending. He says this. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. That's for all you people who want to gossip. He puts you in the same category as the homosexuals and the sexually immoral. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. That's for you children. See how wicked that is when you do not honor your mother and father as the Lord has commanded you to do. Verse 31, they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, watch this, pay attention, but also approve of those who practice them. They embrace sin. The dead church always embraces sin. They come up with some excuse why they should. Beware of that. Because some churches look alive while they're doing it. Remember, he said to Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You're dead. You're compromising. You compromise by embracing sin, but we also compromise by engaging in sin. You know shortly after you embrace sin, you're going to engage in it. And sadly, many of the churches today are, are engaging in sin because they have embraced other people's sin. As recipients of grace, church, listen to me. We should refuse to engage in willful sin toward God. We should, we should refuse it with every fiber of our being. Remembering this, that Hebrews chapter 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Christ being that chief witness, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, witnesses, the apostles, witnesses, the prophets, witnesses, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He said, lay your sins aside. Get rid of them. The moment that the temptation arises, get rid of it. Don't tinker with it or play around with sin. First John gives us more clarity to those who profess Christ but continue in an unbroken lifestyle of sin. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Watch what he says. If this describes you, everyone who has this hope, if this is your hope, Christ, everyone who has this hope, this hope in Him, it says, purifies Himself, just as He is pure. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. It's not an option. Verse 4 says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. He didn't appear so that you can just live in your sin, just like you always have. He appeared to take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. That's that continual, unbroken lifestyle of sin. You don't keep on sinning. If you're truly in Christ, what is going to happen? Conviction is going to happen. Brokenness is going to happen. Humility is going to happen. Confession is going to happen. Repentance is going to happen. Why? Because you're His. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Don't fool yourself. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Don't be tricked. Don't be led astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. What comforting news to the true believer. 
You're not going to be able to continually engage in unbroken lifestyles of sin. The overwhelming, convicting power of the Holy Spirit is going to bring you to your knees in repentance. And if it does not bring you to your knees in repentance, God will then discipline you because whom he loves, he disciplines and he chastens with a rod. And if his discipline and his hand of discipline does not get your attention, 1 John chapter 2 tells us this, there is a sin unto death. There is a time where he will remove you from this world, but you will not continue in an unbroken lifestyle of sin as a believer. So unbeliever, listen to me. If you're in an unbroken, continual lifestyle of sin, you are not truly saved. Repent and believe on Jesus Christ this day and be forgiven of your sin and forever saved and changed. We can't compromise, church. The smallest of sin is detestable to the holiness of God. Did you get that? The thing that you've been tinkering with, your pet sin, it's offensive to your Creator. It's offensive to the Savior who gave Himself on a cross to rescue you. Repent today. Confess it to the Lord. We cannot compromise not in one area of our life. Oh, the true church will learn to despise their sin and to trust Jesus Christ, not just for salvation, but for continual deliverance from that sin in their life every single day. So what do we do with all this? We're going to conclude. We're going to wrap it up. We've seen... Four marks of a dead or dying church, complacency, contentment, comfort, compliance, compromise. I would ask that you would examine your life, see where you are in regard to all of those things. Let us close with this, the rest of this text, because I don't want to leave it out. Let's see the instructions and the promises that were made to the church in Sardis. To the congregation as a whole, he said in verses 2 through and 3, they're at the first part of 3. He says this, he says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. He tells them, rise up, remember, and repent. To wake up from your slumber, to repent of your sin, to remember the faithfulness of God and the salvation that you have received in Christ. To the whole congregation, he says this. I say this to you this morning. I don't know where you are as an individual. He does. Hear the message today. Rise up. Remember. Repent. To the unrepentant, he says this in the second part of verse 3. He says, remember at the first of three, therefore what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, you stay in a condition of unrepentance. He says, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. This is not referencing the return of Christ. This is not referencing the rapture in any way, though there is a parallel in the wording. The people of Sardis understood exactly what Jesus was saying here. Because if we study Sardis, we will realize this, at two different occasions, Sardis was invaded. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction or the fall. Sardis had already historically fallen victim to this two times in their history. In 549 B.C., the armies of the Persian king Cyrus stealthily climbed the walls that were thought to be impenetrable, those cliffs that no man could ever climb. 
Cyrus had a team of skilled climbers who actually climbed the walls at night, overthrew and conquered the armies of the Lydian king Croesus, taking over the city. In 214 BC, Sardis fell again to another invasion. This time, it was to Antiochus the Great, that Hellenistic Greek king and the sixth ruler of the Seleucid Empire. He, again, used the arrogance of those in Sardis to his advantage. They were content simply guarding the main way into the city. Not very smart, was it? But Antiochus allied with Attalus I so that he could overthrow Achaeus there in Sardis. And he did just that. Though Achaeus thought himself to be safe one night, Antiochus and his men skillfully climbed the cliffs and they captured and they brutally killed Achaeus, claiming again the capital of Sardis. So needless to say, the warning of swift judgment from Jesus Christ did not fall on deaf ears there in Sardis. They knew exactly what he meant. They knew that he was warning them of imminent and swift judgment if they did not repent. Church, we can't let our pride keep us from hearing the words of the Lord today and keep us from repenting, heeding to the warnings that have been proclaimed. The unrepentant, he tells them, you need to wake up. You need to wake up or I'm coming with judgment. I'm coming. There's nothing that you can do about it and there's nothing you can do to stop me, just like a thief in the night. But to the faithful in Sardis, he says this. Hey, the congregation here, the warnings to the congregation, in the congregation of Keli Fellowship here, the warning today of the unrepentant, those who are lost and in your sin and truly dead. Hear the message of mercy and grace and forgiveness that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin today and your unbelief and turn to Christ and be saved. But to the faithful, there is encouragement here. Let's look at this together, verses 4 and 5, as we prepare to close this morning. He says this, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, that remnant that God always reserves for himself. He says this about them, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Are they worthy on their own? No, they are worthy because they are dressed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. Watch what he says next. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. And that's when many people say, aha, I told you that you could lose salvation. Really? Do you not understand the basic definition of never? That means it's, means it's absolute. It is never going to happen. He gives you a promise here. He says, I will never blot out the names of the faithful in Christ. Why? Because their names have been written in the book of life since before the foundations of the earth. He said, I'm never going to blot you out. That's a promise. 
That's what John MacArthur says about it. He says that many people want to take a promise and turn it into a threat. He says, I will never blot out a truly saved, faithful servant from my book of life. A true Christian rejoices in that. He says that I will see to it that they walk with me clothed in white. And I will acknowledge His name before my Father and His angels. Oh, we see to the faithful. He says, you will walk with me in unsoiled white clothes. Well, that spoke of that rich, fine wool that was produced there in Sardis. He says, you understand pure white because you understand pure white wool. You will walk with me in the pure white righteousness of Christ forever, 100% secured because you are truly mine. You will never be blotted out from the book of life. This is the promise of eternal security for the true believer. That promise that we see in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He knows that his sheep are going to hear the message that he has proclaimed to Sardis this day. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Right? Why don't they do the flip-flop there for the people who don't want to believe in eternal security? See? They can snatch you out of his hand. No, there's that word, never perish, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He says to the true believers, the faithful there at Sardis, he says, you're secure. You're that remnant that I have reserved, even if the rest stay in their deadness, accept mediocrity, complacency. They compromise. They're compliant with the world. He says, my faithful are secure. Church, may we hear the warnings. May we see the message here that has been proclaimed to us today. May we never fall into the same error. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you thanking you so much for your word. May we not only hear the truths today, but through the power of your Spirit, may these truths penetrate our hearts. May they bring us to brokenness. May they bring the lost to faith. May they encourage the faithful saint who is here today to keep on keeping on. May you be glorified in all things. God, I pray for the soul who's here today who does not know Christ. Lord, I would petition you and ask now that you would shower your grace upon them, your forgiveness, your mercy upon them, that you would save their wretched soul, giving them life and life eternal. Thank you, Lord, again, that we are your children. Thank you for what you are going to do now. We pray and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness. Thank you.